Shabbat Shalom. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I pray, Yahweh, that I would have the capacity to deliver this message today because truly, brothers and sisters, Ephesians 2, I pray that will be our go-to scriptures when people say, hey, I don't understand why you are keeping the feast and the Shabbat. Didn't, isn't the law done away with? And then others say, hey, we should be doing all of the Levitical Torah. And we can say, look, let's listen, let's review Ephesians chapter 2, because I pray I can do this justice, because this should be our go-to foundational text for the Malkitzedic priesthood. Because Ephesians chapter 2, in my opinion, is one of the most important Bible chapters for understanding Paul's theology on the restoration of Israel and the outworking of the law in light of Yahusha. What do we do with the law now that we have Yahusha? This is the question that people have been asking for millennia. And Paul has already given us the answer in Ephesians chapter 2. If we will just do the text, the justice that it so deserves. Is the law done away with? Well, is it? Is the law done away with? Well, maybe the law is nailed to the cross. I think I've heard that, some me believe, for year in and year out in yesteryear. But maybe there's something greater. There's something greater going on here that is supposed to connect us back. Remember the prophet Isaiah says what? He will declare the end from the very beginning. That's a foundational Bible study principle that we must not neglect in our studies. So let's go back to the beginning because I think we don't go back to the 20th century just a few years ago to find that the law was erroneously nailed to the cross. No, let's go back to the 18th century before the common era a long, long time ago and find that the key to the law is the connection to Abraham in the 18th century before the common era. So we've got to get our centuries correct so that we can get our theology correct so that we can connect everything back to the beginning because that's what Isaiah admonishes us to do, that the end is declared from the very beginning. Ephesians 2. It describes the relationship of non-Jewish believers to the commonwealth of Israel. And it also goes into great detail, great detail explaining the removal of the dividing wall. That removal of the dividing wall is the key work of Yahushua the Messiah. And our job Our job is to determine what that dividing wall is and what that dividing wall is not. That is our responsibility as believers in Yahushua. Not on the evidence of religious commentaries, not on the evidence of religious dogma and doctrine, not on positional doctrinal statements, but on the evidence of Scripture 
culture and language detailed within the text themselves. We will find out what that dividing wall is that has been removed. So, Ephesians chapter 2, without further ado, the ecclesia, or the ecclesia, united. Remember, the church was born in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 3. Kahal in the Hebrew, assembly in the English, or ecclesia, the first mention of the church, of course, is Genesis chapter 28, verse 3. Again, the end declared from the very beginning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says thus, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in past times ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Death was a result of disobedience, the disobedience to Yahuwah, understood from time immemorial, the creation. The rebellion at creation through Adam the Havah. Death came in a day, did it not? Because a day is but a thousand years, and we know that Adam died in that first thousand years. But the death was more than physical. It was More than physical. Yes, that physical death did result in exile and the cutting off in the outer realm. But there was the spiritual death, the life given, and that intimate fellowship with Elohim died from that point on too. So, in our opening text, we see those who are disobedient to Yahuwah, as well as all who once walked following the course of this world, are actually under the influence of evil spirits. So don't forget that when you're out in the world and you come up against something. You come up against some person. They are under the influence of evil spirits if they have not been regenerated, recreated by the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh. Because our war is not just against the natural carnal realm, but the principalities that empower these people. Look at the governments of this world. Look at the New World Order. Look at the Illuminati we are seeing that this is a spiritual force of darkness that is coming up against the believers of light and we're to be light and salt. And in those times, we need to be so salty that they're like slugs that just shrivel up to nothing, right? So that's when you become really, really salty and caustic. So there's a time and a season for that. And there's a time to be a little sweeter. But we know that death came in a day and that these people that are in rebellion are actually under the influence of evil spirits. And there's a tremendous demonic activity that leads men into a debased mind and And reasoning that's ultimately expressed in their outward body. And we see that now today in our culture so sadly, don't we? Affecting our youth and the upcoming generation. And the biblical maxim is this. Without law, listen. Without law, man is nothing but a natural idolater. That's it. That's a biblical maxim. Without law, 
man is nothing. Man is nothing but a natural idolater. Meaning, what is man going to do? He's going to fall into idolatry because that is the biblical maxim and that is what we find today. So by removing the law from our biblical worldview, is it any wonder that idolatry is rampant within the church? Is it any wonder? It's no different. It's no different than the same old plague that has always hounded and riddled Israel from the time of Samuel, the great judge and prophet. Same old plague, idolatry. Idolatry. Look at verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So the spiritual formula that seems to escape all secular therapists, is this. I just don't understand. It seems to escape these secular therapists. And the spiritual formula is this. A man who pursued fulfilling the desires of the flesh, in turn leaves the man an empty vessel that holds only anger and self-loathing as he has turned his body soul and spirit over to be weapons of destruction against himself and his loving creator. And we have a culture of self-hatred and self-loathing because men defile their minds, they defile their bodies, they feel convicted and condemned, they get into self-hatred and self-loathing, and it's expressed in the culture. And that is why you have so many broken individuals out there, broken, broken families. And this is just seems to be something that escapes our secular therapists. Yet, We know that the counselor is the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And if we seek the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will steer us and guide us to make a covenant with our eyes, to renew our mind daily, so that we can bring forth life and fruit and abundance into our families and our community. Look at verse 4. But Elohim, who is rich in mercy, for this great love wherewith he loved us, Even when we were dead in our sins, just Selah. Doesn't that astound you? I think of the things that I used to do. The things that I used to think about. What I used to do with my body. And that he would love me and love you. And be so patient and long-suffering. And there's people that go through their whole life never experiencing that kind of love. That kind of love. And that's what sustains me. That is the love of Yahweh for his people. What a loving creator. 
He hath quickened us together in Messiah, and by grace ye are saved. Grace is the empowerment to keep the commandments of Yahuwah in a sick and twisted world. Mercy is the withholding of Yahuwah's just judgment deserved. So the Christian church, and you've heard me say it many times, they are not under Yahuwah's grace. Because if they were under Yahuwah's grace, they would be empowered to keep the commandments of Yahuwah. They are in fact under Yahuwah's mercy, the withholding of just judgment deserved. And when the great tribulation comes, he will withdraw his mercy and judgment will prevail first on the household of Elohim and then out to the nations. So now is the time when we need to be under his grace and be empowered to keep the commandments, the Sabbath, the feasts, the festivals, and to walk a holy, kosher life in a sick and twisted world. You do need Yahuwah's grace. You are under his grace. Be encouraged. Therefore, bear fruits of righteousness and keep the commandments of Yahuwah. No longer hiding under the twisting and re-engineering of the English language and redefining biblical terms. Because if you use grace as a license to sin, then you are lawless. A without nomia Torah. So we have got to just get back into some basic English and some basic, basic biblical understanding to see that our culture tries to redefine language so that we can escape accountability. Right? It's amazing to me. Those words, grace and mercy, we really have to make sure that we do not let tradition and religion reconstitute those words so that people can excuse a life that really Yahweh is calling us to righteousness. So again, we need to be careful. Look at verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Messiah Yahusha, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Yahusha. What we're going to look now is at the language linkage back into the Torah. We're going to look at a Greek word that appears in the Septuagint that is going to define what Paul is talking to us about. I love to do that because you're not relying on me. I'm not relying on you. We're going into the Bible and we are saying, Paul uses this particular word. He's speaking to an audience that understands. And now we can go back and track this word and find the context or go back to what's called the Torah of first mention. Where does this word appear first in the scriptures? And let's look at its usage throughout the scriptures. And that will give us the context of what Paul's talking about. So in verse 6 and 7, we're going to find this Greek word, and it is sanegiro, or in the Hebrew, it's olah, raised up, raised up. What does he say? He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Where in the Bible did 
we find Yahuwah raise up a group of men to stand in heavenly places. Where do we find that? We're going to look at the word in the Greek, track it right back to the Septuagint, and we're going to find that Paul is talking exactly what we hope and pray that he should be talking about, the book of the covenant reality to believers in Yahushua. And we will find, of course, that this word comes from Exodus chapter 24 and verse 9. And its usage is in regard to the Malkitzedic priesthood. And I couldn't make this stuff up even if I wanted to. Which, of course, I wouldn't. Because why would you want to make up something when you have the scriptures? Why would you want to make up a scary story and frighten your children? When you can turn to the last few chapters of the book of Judges and terrify your kids before bedtime. I mean, I have got so much material in here for my kids. It's amazing. You want to watch a movie? I'll tell you something. I've got something way better. So, again, let's look at this again. Exodus 24, verse 9. They went up, the Hebrew word olah, that connects into our Greek in the Septuagint, sunagiro, the very same word that appears in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. They went up, sunagiro, Moshe, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the Elohim of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it were the body of the heaven in its clearness. Now, does that match identically Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6? Does it? Not only does it in the context, it does in the language. So now we can clearly stand that this is how we study the Bible. This is irrefutable. This is not my opinion. This isn't a man's doctrine. This is safe, biblical exegesis. We are extracting from the text. We're not putting our thoughts into the text. And the Bible is supporting the Bible. This is how we know that we are not following the doctrines of men, which end up being the doctrines of demons. So again, now let's continue on. I love this. Paul is talking to the Malkizedic priesthood. He's saying, hey, just as you were in Exodus 19 to 24, when the book of the covenant was ratified, you are now in that right standing because of Yahushua. And you are now able to come and sit together in heavenly places and be bestowed with the blessings that Israel was once bestowed of before they sinned because they got their mind into idolatry, which is the baseness of humankind, which is how he's already started the second chapter. Do you see how it's building? I mean, it's absolutely amazing when we look at the Bible this way. Verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of ourselves, not of yourselves, it is the gift of Elohim, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is not by works, but it is for works, Don. 
Salvation is not by works, but it is for works, which is concurrent with the original call of Yahuwah upon ancient Israel, is it not? Which was to obey him as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They were saved from Mitzrayim so that they could do the good works of being a priesthood to the nations. You are saved Not by works, but now you can go and produce the good works of being the Malkitzedic priesthood to the nations. That's the calling on all of you and all of us today. And people are heeding it from all over the globe. All over the globe. And finally, the scales are falling off and there is the awakening of Israel. Our works are a sign of us receiving the gift And an expression of our gratitude, not the way of salvation, but the evidence of it. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says, Thus let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And you can meet him through the redemptive work of Yahushua and you can go stand and sit in heavenly places. But the only access you get is through the new book of the covenant. Verse 16 of Matthew, of course, sets the context. Good works, i.e. Torah, before he explains what fulfilled is, filled up with meaning in verses 17 to 20. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are, again, we're going to connect this word back into the Torah through the Septuagint. For we are his workmanship. The Greek word for workmanship is poema. Poema. We are his poema created in Messiah Yahushua unto good works, which Elohim hath before ordained that we should walk in them one in Messiah. Our workmanship, again, is rooted and grounded in the priesthood and the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 31, verse 2, it says this, See, I have called by name Bezial, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, and of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of El, the Ruach, And in understanding I have given him and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. The Hebrew word there is melakor, melakor, which again we see the connection to the Greek and the Septuagint brought forth into the New Testament in verse 10 of our text in Ephesians. This to me is freedom. So many years I wanted to understand the things of Yahuwah, but I couldn't understand pastors that wouldn't connect us and teach us how the Bible works. But when you understand how it works, free of commentaries, free of dogma and doctrine, that it is a dictionary for the dictionary, the words mean things, it's powerful. Connect the dots. Let's go on now. Verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands. The Greek word here made by human hands is kleropiotos. 
And that is used in the Septuagint in relation to idol making. So Paul, right here, views those holding to outward forms of doctrine and dogma as those in rebellion as akin to making idols. And that's what we have today. Those that are using grace as an excuse for not keeping the commandments of Yahuwah are actually into idol making. And they'll be cutting them down here shortly and dragging them into their houses. And they may be making all kinds of excuses, but excuses are fig leaves. It's the same word in the Hebrew. And that is what Adam and Eve covered themselves with. They covered themselves with excuses so that they wouldn't have to keep the commandments of Yahuwah. See? There's nothing new under the sun. And now, this isn't a lambast, verse 11. This isn't a lambast against circumcision. It's just that at the time, circumcision had become the premier sign, the premier sign of covenant membership to the detriment of women and to those in the nations. If you were a woman or if you were in the nations, then you weren't in the covenant community. Well, heaven forbid, no. It had become such a a badge of pride to the Jewish people that Paul was tearing it down because he was tearing down the pride of the nation that had, in fact, rejected the Messiah. So now we see that it had become such a symbol of pride and identity that those limiting the return of the nations due to not having the outward sign of circumcision, Paul was saying, you're just like idol makers. You're just like idol makers. It's become an idol to you. It's your badge of idolatry. And that's what we see today with all the rabbinic Judaism. Verse 12, that at that time ye were without Mashiach, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, there's a dedicated phrase, having no hope and without Elohim in the world. So we know that in Genesis 11, the table of nations were truly alienated, weren't they? They were truly alienated from the promises of Elohim. Just as they had built a wall of separation due to their rebellion. What did the nations build? What was their wall of separation? Boom, the Tower of Babel. So the nations built a wall of separation that caused, that very wall then caused them to be alienated from the Creator. It was called the Tower of Babel. Then Israel, delivered out of Egypt, they built a wall of separation that caused them to be alienated from the covenants of promise also. And what was that wall that they constructed? The golden calf. So now Yahushua's job is to not only return the nation of Israel back to the covenants of promise, but actually to return the nations Back to the covenants of promise. Do you see what he's doing? He is restoring 
the end, at the end, and he's returning you all the way back prior to Genesis 11. That even if you are an uncircumcised Gentile out in the nations, if you come in to the covenant through Yahusha, you bypass the mountain, you bypass Genesis 11, and you come back pre the Tower of Babel to right standing in the covenants of promise, the dedicated phrase. Wow! And how come the Jews couldn't understand this? How come they couldn't grasp this simple thing? Because they were so entrenched in doctrine and dogma that they couldn't track it back prior to when? Moses. Because it was all about Moses. And there's nothing wrong with Moses. Moshe Rabbeinu is righteous. But Moshe Rabbeinu is just a piece of the journey back to Abraham. And that's what Yahushua was always talking to them about. Abraham's your father, yet you produce these works. It's always going to connect us back to Abraham because that's where the covenants of promise originate. It's amazing to me. So by removing the wall of partition, that wall of partition was the book of the law that was constructed after the golden calf breach. Yahushua has not only remove the obstacle to the unity in Israel. He has, in fact, removed the obstacle to unity in the nations. And that's what you and I are recipients of. And now we're the ones that have the understanding and are hearkening from the west all the way back to the east. Whereas usually the voice came from the east and it blew westward. But now it's returning back to the beginning, just as the prophet said. The salvation covenants of promise, Ephesians 2.12, are not part of the book of the law, Galatians 3.18. Not in any Bible, Christian, Jewish, or Messianic. Let me be so clear on that. The salvation covenants of promise, Ephesians 2.12, are not part of the book of the law, Torah law, in any Bible. Galatians 3.18. Doesn't matter. Jewish, Christian, Messianic. The term, the covenants of promise, is a dedicated phrase. It has to do with those covenants that can be directly attached back to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15. There has to be a proposal, an acceptance, a blood ratification, and a covenant-confirming meal connecting to Abraham. These are the covenants of promise, which, of course, Yahushua has reinstituted by his redemptive work Verse 13, but now in Messiah Yahushua, who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Messiah. Of course, the biblical context of verse 13, made nigh, is being brought near. You're being brought near. And what's the biblical context of being brought near? Turn with me, Isaiah 56, verse 3. This is the context. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to Yahweh speak, saying, Yahweh hath 
utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuchs say, Behold, I am but a dry tree. For thus saith Yahweh unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths. That's always the first brick in the wall. If you put that bit brick back in the wall, then you start to raise up the tabernacle of David in your life. That's the calling. That was the first thing for me. Okay. I need to look at the Sabbath. Oh, Matthew, you don't want to look at the Sabbath? Didn't you know? The commandment got turned into a principle. The Sabbath is a principle. We keep it on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. It's a principle. It's a principle thing. I'm like, okay, I hear what you're saying and I respect you. Could you show me the verse in Scripture, preferably two, which says a commandment is now changed into a principle? Now, if you can show me that verse, preferably two, I'd go with one, though, because I respect you. You are my pastor. Then I'll sign on to it. But, you know... I got saved by the Messiah, and um, I know that he's the living word, and I really appreciate what you're saying, and I am unchurched, so I could be making a mistake, but uh, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. I want to see his word say that the commandments have been turned into principles. Well, you're just being argumentative. No, no, I, I just really, really want to see it. And I know whatever you have to show me, it's going to be housed within this scriptures. I don't want to watch this. I don't want to read that. I want it right here. And they... Out of here, Matthew. So that's my whole purpose in this ministry. And I hope you guys appreciate that's what we're all about. Because I've seen it the other way. And everything that we need to know, let's just go here. It's here. And now I've refined it even further down than that. You need to show me what you believe. And if you want me to sign on to it, I I will. But show me from Genesis 1 to Exodus 24, 11, within the book of the covenant, and then let it be confirmed by the New Testament. But first of all, it has to be within the covenant parameters for me to now take it on into my life because I know that Yahusha has returned me as a priest to the Melchizedek covenant, and therefore I know that all truth is found from Genesis 1 to Exodus 24, 11, and then expanded on out and confirmed through the rest of Scripture. But it must be demonstrated to me. Not here, not there, not in a paper. Don't send me a 600-page PDF. Just take me to the chapter and verse. Then take me to another chapter and verse. And then take me to another chapter and verse. And it's got to be between Genesis 1-1 and Exodus 24-11. I'm with you. But very few people will be willing to do that. Because we live in a world where it's all phones, computers, PDFs, this, that, t'other, right? I'm a simple man. I do it with my kids. Let's just open the pages of this thing. I love the smell of the word. I do. I mean, it just, I mean, I love a Bible with a good hand. You know, you just worn those pages down. I just, man. Yeah, sorry. Focus. But you know what I'm saying? It's comforting, isn't it? Huh? 
bread of heaven. Thank you, the bread of heaven. Let's go on, because look what Isaiah says. Unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbath and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant, even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of the sons of the daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to Yahweh to serve him and to love the name of Yahweh to be his servants. Every one that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taking hold of my covenant. That's the context of what Paul is talking about. Now the promise of Isaiah has gone out to the nations and they can be a recipient of it. A recipient of it. Whereas the Jews said that, yes, you were only a recipient of it if you circumcise your member. He's even saying, hey, you that are a dry tree that can't even, you know, even you can come. Wow. And they weren't even allowed in the very presence. What about restoration? Psalm, Psalm chapter 148 verse 14 says thus, He also exalteth the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, even the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise Yahuwah. And Deuteronomy 4, 7. For what nation is there so great who has Yahuwah so near unto them? As Yahweh our Elohim is in all things that we call upon him. So if you're brought near, that means you are part of Israel and of one of Yahweh's own. That's what you are. If you're brought near, you're part of Israel. You're the Israel, Galatians 6.16, of Elohim. A full partaker of the covenants of promise. A full partaker of the covenants of biblical Israel. Never, ever to be a separate entity. There never has been and never will be in the biblical worldview a separate people of God outside the restoration of Israel. It simply does not exist. You can't read the Bible anywhere and find a separated church entity. You simply can't. Especially when you realize the word church was born in Genesis chapter 28 verse 3. And in Revelation, the end declares the beginning. Chapter 21 verse 12, it says thus... And they had a wall, great and high, and twelve gates. And the gates, there were twelve malachim, angels. And the names written thereon, which were the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Seamless, flawless, perfect harmony. As covenant members with a newfound citizenship, we then have to behave in accordance to the standards of our covenant community. In the natural realm, we expect this. Therefore, we should follow the same standard in the spiritual one too, right? Exactly. Look at verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, 
and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That is a dedicated phrase. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Notice it does not say the law of commandments contained in covenant. So there is a Torah of commandments contained in ordinances. That is the book of the law. And then there is a Torah of commandments contained in covenant, which are diametrically opposed. And that is the book of the covenant. But here he's talking about he has abolished in his flesh the enmity clause. What does that mean? That means you did something that really upset Yahuwah. And therefore he put in the enmity clause so that he wouldn't kill you. Commit genocide on you. And that was only because Moshe Rabbeinu pleaded and intercessed so much. He's like, all right, I won't wipe Israel out and make a nation out of you. I'll spare them. But I'm putting them under the enmity clause. They are now going to be not in the covenant commandments contained in covenant. But now they're going to be put under commandments contained in ordinances. Managed under a tutor in a schoolhouse. They're going to be put under a Levitical priesthood. And they are going to be slaying blood and animals spilling all over the place to remind them of their sin until I can figure out a righteous way of equity to return them back into my full restorative way. But it's going to cost. Somebody's going to have to die. And it's going to have to be my son. And that is the history of the Bible in under a minute. But as we can see, <laughs> this is powerful stuff. Having abolished, verse 15, in his flesh, Yahushua's flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Yes, that book of the law is what? It is abolished by Yahushua's flesh. For to make himself of twain one new man, there is neither male or female, slave, or free, but you are one new man in Yahushua, so making peace that he might reconcile both unto Elohim in one body by the tree, having slain the enmity clause thereby. That's some powerful stuff. Let's look at these terms. Let's look at these biblical terms in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, 15, and 16. We've got both one. We've got the middle wall broken. We've got abolished the the enmity clause. Write these down. We've got both one. We've got the middle wall broken. Abolished the enmity clause, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. You've got one new man, reconcile the two, the two houses of Israel, slaying the enmity clause, the book of the law. Is that the whole biblical doctrine of restoration and reformation and how we're to walk out the law in light of Yahushua? Within three verses. 
If you have the eyes to see, you and I can see it all within three verses because we have the history now of being in the Word. And that history is now available online through this ministry. It just takes some time. But it's all right there. It's all right there. Israel was taken out of Egypt. They were brought to the mountain, given the book of the covenant, Exodus 19.4 to 24.11. Given all the promises. They were given the covenant commandments. Commandments of Torah contained in covenant. But then they sinned under the golden calf. And therefore they broke the covenant. Therefore, the enmity clause was put into place. The book of the law was placed over Israel. No longer were they in blood-ratified covenant, but now they were placed under commandments in ordinances. And instead of being a nation of priests, they were given a nation with a priest. And they were put under not the leading of Yahuwah, but the leading of Achron. And therefore the slaying of bulls and goats for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Israel constantly went to its base level of idolatry. The judges came. The prophets came. Calling Israel back to the book of the law. Come back within the parameters of the ordinances. Come back within the parameters of the ordinances of law. Until Yahushua came. He paid the death penalty position of Genesis chapter 15 where Yahweh flayed open the animals and he walked between those pieces as a burning oven and a flaming torch. And Yahushua paid that death penalty, therefore establishing Israel's right standing again and the nation's Genesis 11 right standing. He now breaks down that wall of separation, which was the book of the law contained in ordinances and restores us back to the book of the covenant, commandments contained in covenant. And now that's open to all. The Sabbaths, the feasts, the festivals, and we can rightly discern, rightly divide the word of truth, the word of Torah, It's so powerful. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15 and 16 is in direct contrast to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 promise, is it not? It's in direct contrast. You have to understand that. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15 and 16 is in direct contrast to Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 12, those covenants of promise. One has been abolished so that the other, the covenants of promise, are now back on the table through the blood of Yahushua, available not only to the nation of Israel, but Genesis 11, the table of nations. The law of commandments contained in ordinances is not, as some of our fellows would say, a record of sin debt. Of course not. Notice that the law of commandments, which was contained in covenant, 
The book of the covenant is very different than the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Have to make that distinction. Because we know that the law of commandments contained in covenant is the Malchizedek covenants of promises, which are very much still with us today, those covenants of promise. So Yahushua did, in fact, set aside the Levitical book of the law. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 11. The book of the law mentioned in Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. We know from Galatians 3.17, Colossians 2.14, Ephesians 2 verse 15, and Hebrews 10 verse 9, that he took away our debt of sin, yes, but he also broke down that middle wall of separation, which was the book of the law. So again, unlike the Levitical book of the law, the Malkitzedic book of the covenant could not be against us because it is for us. It is, in fact, the marriage ketubah that was offered to Israel at the mountain. It is how Yahuwah married Abraham's descendants to become Yahuwah's family. Ketubah means that binding marriage contract in Hebrew. And that's exactly what Yahushua has done. Whereas, in contrast, the Levitical book of the law is the law that was against us. That law that, of course, kept Israel from the covenants of promise. And we know now there has been a transference of priesthood from Levi to Malkitzedek. This further seals the deal with the destruction of the temple coming along just a few years later in 70 of the common era. But I think it's important that I do take a few moments to contrast four different worldviews so that we understand the different thoughts that are out there. There are four different worldviews of the dedicated phrase, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So number one, let's look at what does evangelical Christianity think when they see the phrase, the law of commandments contained in ordinances? Well, they would say this. This is the law, this law is the totality of the law of Moses. It's the Torah. Now, the problem with that, if this worldview is correct, then Ephesians chapter 6 verse 2 poses quite an embarrassment, doesn't it? Because if Paul has done away with the law, then why on earth In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 2, would he quote the very law that he has just done away with? It's so utterly ridiculous to consider that Paul would consider quoting the Torah, honor your mother and father, if it's been abolished. Why would he do such a thing? That is utterly ridiculous to make that Statement. It makes no sense in the light of the text. Of course, if the Torah as a whole has been abolished, and then you go on to appeal to it for instruction just a few paragraphs later, then you would be an idiot. Is that what you're saying of Paul? Surely not. 
Because that's your beloved Paul, right? No. So that, that worldview is wrong. Number two, what is Christian reform theology's worldview of this dedicated phrase, the law of commandments contained in ordinances? And what do I mean when I say Christian reform theology? That's kind of my tradition back in the woods, the Church of England. You've got the Westminster Confession, which was, of course, 1643 to 1647. You had the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is really the roots of Christian reform theology. And it was the mainstay of Protestantism up until the 19th century. And there view, and you may have heard it, is this. This law composes, they divide it, this law composes of the ceremonial commandments of the law, particularly in relation to the priestly rites, the regulations of clean and unclean, and the death penalty for high crimes in the law. This law doesn't eradicate the ethical and moral precepts of the law. You've heard this. Of course, this is highbrow Christian Reformation reform theology. But you cannot find this division in the Bible. This is man sitting down with man and reasoning to come up with a theory on why we don't keep the commandments. But we shouldn't steal, murder, and do incest either, though. So we've got to kind of, you know, some of it's good, but it's not really a commandment. It's a principle. It's a ethical values, right? This is a big problem because they did not know 200 years later, because of these statements, our culture would be in the state that it is in today with transgender and all kinds of things that they would couldn't even imagine, couldn't even imagine that people would do the things that they do to themselves today. My goodness. So because we've adopted, number one, evangelical Christianity's worldview, and number two, Christian reform theology's worldview, making the New Testament the only guide in ethics and morality. Of course, the fruits of that was Roe versus Wade that was sanctioned in 1973, a ruling that would have been struck down before it ever reached the courts had we maintained a biblical worldview based upon law and covenant. You see what it did? Do you see what it did? Not to mention all the more recent legislation that is coming in with family, marriage, transgender, and all of these other things. The third view is the 20th century Messianic Judaism's worldview. Quote, This law is a reference to what caused the dividing wall seen in Jerusalem's temple, a construct of rabbinic oral law, not of Mosaic origin. Okay? That's the messianic worldview. This is a construct reflected in the temple period of Judaism when Messiah was. And it is in regard to the oral law, not the Mosaic written law. 
And I espoused that for nearly a decade. I know that doctrine inside and out. And it does not hold water in the maturity that Yahweh has now called me to in looking in the scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures only. Because this interpretation has become very popular within the Hebrew roots movement today. But it falls flat on its face, Matthew. It falls flat on its face, Matthew, convicted to the very soul that I can now stand before you and say, please forgive me, I was wrong. Why is that so hard for people? Because then Yahweh will restore you, give you an opportunity to make it right by saying things like this. It falls flat on its face face when you take it's quite simple into account that paul makes no reference whatsoever within these passages of the temple in bloody jerusalem does he does he no reference whatsoever so that is called eisegesis I'm inserting my own ideas into the text to justify my doctrine and my long seat seats. You see? Pride, intellectualism, logic. And then you just go back to the simple things. And it's all right there. It falls flat on its face when you take into account that Paul makes no reference whatsoever to the temple in Jerusalem. And it's highly doubtful that the Gentiles in Asia Minor would have even recognized such an allusion to the partition wall of the temple because they had never gone there. Right? They would have never gone there. They would have no idea what he was alluding to. So it's not in the text. They'd never gone there. Does that hold water? No, it doesn't. It falls flat on its its face. But in my 30s, that's what I was espousing. Because I was looking up to Messianic as the way. But it's not the way. It's not the truth. And it's not the light. It's a counterfeit. It's full of magic. The fourth view, which is truth, which is righteousness, is the Malkitzedic worldview. The law of commandments contained in ordinances, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, is distinct from the commandment laws contained in covenant, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. It identifies the book of the law, Galatians 3.10, as being the law, the law instituted as the golden calf enmity clause. That enmity from the golden calf covenant breach is now reconciled, thus abolished as the book of the covenant Torah is now fully inaugurated for all believers not only in the nation of Israel, but out in the nations by Yahushua's inauguration of the new covenant. A return to covenant Torah in Messiah. The book of the law is the middle wall that is now struck down. Simple, concise, and supported by verse upon verse, verse upon verse, 
line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What did they receive? under the Levitical priesthood. Did the Levitical priesthood stand at the mountain, Exodus 19 to Exodus 24? No. So they did not receive the book of the covenant. So what did they receive? The only other option is that they received the book of the law. And that happened at the golden calf breach. You see how it all starts to unravel. The lies and the magic start to unravel all in the truth of Yahushua, our Kohen Haggadah, our high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the book of the law, the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Hebrews 7 verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity, a change also of the law. You are no longer under the book of the law. There has been a change to the Torah. You are now under the book of the covenant Torah. There's been a change in Torah. A change in Torah that was already in Torah from the very beginning. It is called a transference. You are not annulling one jot or tittle. You are literally transferring between covenants of promise and commandments contained in ordinances. But it's all within the Torah. And people say to me, Matthew, you're teaching doing away with the Torah. No, I'm teaching transferring back to the covenants of promises where the commandments of Torah were already contained. You're not doing away with anything because you're still within the whole Torah. You're just within covenant now, no longer out in ordinances. You've been elevated to a higher status. But if your flesh is strong and your pride calls you to ordinances you will never receive the Melchizedek promises and that's where so many miss the mark Hebrews 7 verse 16 who is made not after the law of carnal commandments the book of the law but after the power of an endless life the commandments the Levitical ordinances the commandments contained in ordinances were to reign in the carnality and flesh of Israel because they were a whoring at the golden calf they were carnal commandments contained in ordinances not holy commandments contained in covenant it's a juxtaposition between understanding all of the text of Torah as a whole the royal law look at first kings chapter 8 verse 41 melachim olive 841 says this it gives us the context of the temple in relation to the stranger being joined to Israel remember solomon's dedication of the temple moreover concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel but cometh out of a far country for my name's sake 
For they shall hear of my great name and of my strong hand and thy stretched out arm. When he shall come and pray towards this house, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know my name. For fear thee as do thy people Israel, that they may know that this house which I have builded, is called by my name. And the Jews in Jerusalem were not keeping the principles that even the temple was built for, which was what? To express Yahweh's name, even to the eunuchs out in the nation. They had made it a circumcision club. That's what they had made it. They didn't even understand the call of First Kings chapter 8. They weren't even doing that. It's always been about the nations. Yahweh has always wanted to restore the nation so that that nation could be a kingdom of priests and go out and help restore the nations. And that's the healing of the leaves. And the end is declared from the powerful and we see that in revelation look at verse 17 of our text and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh of course this is the prophetic fulfillment of isaiah 52 verse 10 isaiah 56 verse 3 and isaiah 57 verse 19 look as we finish up in this powerful powerful chapter Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of Elohim. Maximus Israel. Right? Maximus Israel. Realized right here is the household of Elohim, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free. There is neither male or female. That is Maximus Israel. Verse 20. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Yahushua, the Messiah himself, being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth up unto a holy temple in the Kurios. Of course, Yahushua has built, yet we are called. Are we not? He's built, yes, but we are called to raise up this fallen tabernacle of David. And of course, let's finish up. It goes back to Exodus chapter 26, verse 15. Remember, because they sinned at the golden calf, They needed literally a manifestation from heaven and a word picture built for them down on the earth because they couldn't even comprehend what was going on in heaven. But now in Yahushua, what was on earth was destroyed in 70 of the common era because Yahushua has now given us the eyes to see what is going on in the heavenlies. So we're back to the first principle things, standing on the sapphire sea of stone and glass. With the elders eating and feasting, the feasts of Yahweh, the Sabbaths and the festivals, because he wants us to understand it's not about wood, it's about you. 
Listen. Make boards for the tabernacle of shittim wood standing up. Got to raise those boards up because you are the building boards. You are me. Make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards. They shall be coupled together beneath, and they shall be coupled together above the head, Yahusha, of it unto one new man. One ring. Ephesians, no, Shemot. Oh, it's so similar. Exodus chapter 26, verse 15. They will be coupled together above the head of it unto one ring. Make bars of shittim wood, overlay the boards with gold, and make their rings of gold for places for the bars. And thou shalt overlay the bars with gold. And thou shalt rear up or raise up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof which was showed thee on the mount. We are bought with the currency of redemption. And the currency of redemption is the metal of the Messiah. It is the silver currency of Messiah. We are these building boards coupled together with the currency of redemption, silver. The bride is purchased with the silver of Yahusha. Cleansed, refined, so that you can become that rebuilt tabernacle of David and stand and when there is nothing else more stand as one new man Maximus Israel verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 2 in whom ye also are builded together for a holy habitation unto Elohim through the Ruach silver is the currency of man. And it is what holds the building boards together to construct this holy habitation of Yahweh. And right here, within one chapter, you've got the restoration of Israel. And how do we walk out the law in light of Yahushua's redemption? Paul tells us, the Ephesians grasped it, can we in this day and age Because there's a lot of magic out there. And I use that word deliberately. Conjuring and magic when it comes to doctrines and reasoning of men. But we go back to the text. And we drill it down even further now. Because as the days get more perilous and wicked, we need to be able to not have to literally scan thousands of pages of scripture But we need to be able to even narrow it down to just Genesis 1 to Exodus 24, 11. Foundational covenant Torah. The royal law, as James said. Show me in there because everything's in there and it will be expanded out through the judges, the prophets, the kings, and then confirmed in the New Testament. That's how the Bible works and that's the safe realm that I choose to live in and to teach from. Amen? Questions, comments, anyone? Yes, um, we have two questions right now. Um, The first one is, um, I know we're all born again. Um, Are we supposed to become the priest? Could someone clarify that for me? 
Are we, we are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yes, in Yahusha, once the redemption has been purchased and you have now grasped hold of that redemption through the regeneration of the Ruach HaKodesh, you are called to be a priest after the order of Malkitzedek and go out now and bear fruit of righteousness to the nations and bring them in and walk out the priesthood. The priesthood is for today. It's the priesthood of Malkitzedek. It is the book of the covenant Torah. Could you clarify the Greek ordinances? Uh, In the Greek, the ordinances that you brought up earlier? The ordinances, so there's a difference between commandments contained in covenant, which is, of course, the book of the covenant, going back to Exodus 19 through 24.11, and then the commandments contained in ordinances is the book of the law, Galatians 3.10, which was that middle wall of separation that has now been destroyed, abolished, and annulled by Yahusha, restoring us back to the former things, book of the covenant Torah, and our right standing as lively stones, living stones, and a kingdom of priests. The second part of that question is, um, the cross reference from the Septuagint. Could you re- mention that again? The cross reference for. Not sure if I have. That. I guess there there might have been about the ordinances. There was that cross reference. I think you went all the way back to Exodus twenty four nine. I think that's the one they're talking about in the in the beginning. You talked about. That. Oh, okay. Let me see if I can find that. Does anybody remember that? If it is, it'll be in a note. We'll post the notes on online here in a couple of days okay. rather than me digging through my notes. Amen. Thank you all. Blessings. Yes, we have a couple of questions here. Uh, once again, it was so good what you just said. What do we say to the church who says the new covenant is because of the Messiah? So the new covenant is different. The, they the say new what? covenant as referred to in Ezekiel. God says, I will give you a new covenant. Correct. The new covenant is Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one, where he will write the Torah on your heart, no longer on stone, and it is to Israel and Judah, and then the sojourners that would graft in and join and be part of that one new man. So yes, but we have to then understand in light of Galatians, specifically Galatians 3.10, the book of the law, the distinction between what is the Torah as a whole. Are we talking about law, 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 that the whole law has been annulled and nailed to the cross, or do we rightly divide, as um, Paul said to Timothy, do we rightly divide the word of truth? It's very important, Timothy, we rightly divide the word of Torah between book of the covenant, which is for us today, and the book of the law, which has, of course, been nailed to the tree. So the new covenant, as Ezekiel says, that God said is not something separate from The new covenant, as Jeremiah says, is the new book of the covenant, because Yahushua has restored us back to the book of the covenant of the promises given to Abraham. 
It is just new because you cannot renew a covenant. You have to make a brand new one. But it is all of the promises that were given to Abraham, all of the promises that were given to Israel at the mountain before the golden calf breach, we have been restored by Yeshua into that new covenant now in right standing as priests under the order of Melchizedek. He is our high priest. We are to live as the Israel of Elohim back at the mountain. Not under Levitical law, not under the Levitical law, because that is all added for transgression. Those are the book of the law wall that has been cast down, and now we're restored. And that gives us the parameters of truth. Understand, there have been great denominations that have gone before us, that have had truth. The Seventh-day Adventists, they had the Sabbath. The Worldwide Church of God, they had the Sabbaths, the feasts, the festivals. But they fell flat on on their faces when they were challenged later on, when people would come and say, look... Why is it that we're keeping these parts of the law, but not this part of the law? And people would challenge and saying, oh, we're being too religious. We need to go back into the church with more grace. And then these, these, they lost their power because they could not rightly discern. Whereas we have the keys, which are the keys of knowledge, understanding that no, we don't have to say, oh, we just keep the moral law or the ceremonial law, which are man-made definitions and terms. We can literally go to the parameters of Scripture and say, this is our covenant. Everything contained from Genesis 1 all the way through to the blood ratification of Exodus 24:11 is for us. And within those texts, you will find holy, kosher living. You will find the Sabbath. You will find the feasts and festivals of Yahuwah. You will find the dietary requirements. And there will be other things that are expanded upon, but it teaches us how to live. This is how you shall live. So then, in a sense, it's not new only, it's renewed. In a sense, it is a new covenant, but it is this, it has got all of the things contained in it from before, but it is brought forward, it has new blood shed upon it, and it is newly ratified. But it contains the same promises. I think we need to include, based on better promises, that this new covenant contained a supernatural heart change. Exactly. No longer written on a parchment scroll or tablets of stone, but written upon your heart. The part that I I got uh, in that covenant part, I've never seen anywhere where Yahweh has changed his mind or his principles. Never, ever, ever. But he did change the location of the writing of the covenant. It is on our hearts, but he did not change the condition of the covenant. So, I, and there's no way that you can make a new covenant or a, a renew an old covenant that's been broken. So it has to be new, absolutely new. And it's, and it's revealed uh, when you look at the LXX wording that uh, that word is the same word, I believe, um, that we found in this chapter, that keinus or whatever that word is in Greek. I'll have to look it up. But um, it is distinctly new, fresh, brand new. New. Amen. Yes. Powerful stuff in the back. 
which is kind of funny. I, what popped in my mind when you were talking about all this was, uh, <clears throat> anybody seen Fiddler on the Roof? Fiddler on the Roof? Tradition! Tradition! And then he goes into that, Rabbi Tevai, they ask me, why do we do these traditions? I'll tell you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a lot of it. I don't know. And a lot will be doing that over the next couple of months. I don't know. But we do know why we do things. And that is the freedom that he's given us. Amen. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah.